forge your inner armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome back, Doc, or not quite back. You're still on the road. You've been on the road this week uh, doing some interesting travel. You want to share a little bit where you've been and some of the things you've been up to? Yeah, it's uh, great to be back on the uh, podcast here, and uh, we're kind of doing it mobile today. I'm in currently in Charlotte, uh, North Carolina, but um, been on the road, was out at uh, San Francisco at the 49ers, uh, where we've actually worked for the last six years. And uh, we have a, a brain room there, and we have a staff person. A shout out to Ian, who's our staff person there. Been working with the players the last few years, and uh, checking on him. Go, I go out a couple times a month to uh, San Jose, and every once in a while, I'll catch a game. Or when the guys are on the road, we'll catch a game. But love working with the team. They're having a great season. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, whatever you're doing, it's 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 working out this year. Yeah, it's been it's just been great. And it's great to get back to the podcast and talk about some of the things that we do across a variety of levels for both, you know, peak performers as well as people with clinical issues or just people who want to function at a higher potential. Yeah, fantastic. So let's talk about potential and the sort of nexus between potential and performance, which is really where your career has lived. And to to sort of get into this one today, I was thinking about a quote that I read years ago, but then in preparation for today's show, I was trying to find it and using the Google machine and I can't find it anywhere. But the quote was something to the effect of pity the young man with too much potential. Because the idea yeah. was a young man who has a ton of potential, or you say a young woman who has so much young potential when they're young, right? That becomes a sense of burden because you have to live up to it. Because at the end of the day, your potential, you know, you can't cash your potential out like a check. You have to, it has to translate into performance. And you want to talk a little bit about that, that sort of potential and performance nexus a bit? Yeah, I think there's this uh, real conflict at times between you know, what is it that I think I can do? What are other people telling me that they think my potential is? But then the reality of day to day as I kind of live in the trenches, uh, some of that's a reframing of even as I'm doing my job or a mom at home uh, doing laundry, you know, um, that's important. It's matter matters how you do it. And so um, some of that's a, a reframing of what your potential is. I look at trying to get the most out of who I am between the, the mind and the body connection and making sure that connection is as solid as possible so that when I'm in the opportunity for my potential to come out, it has a greater possibility that it will show up when it's time to show up. Right. You and I have talked about this before that at the end of the day, right, m most everything that we have to do as people has to be done in the physical world. And, yeah. and, you know, so you can look at the 49ers, you can look at professional sports. And of course, that's pretty obvious in athletics that that's on a field. But if you look at everything from 
childcare to doing your job to cleaning the snow off your driveway to you know fixing the the kitchen sink when it's broken almost everything that we have to sort of do as people it isn't all conceptual right i mean we conceptualize about things but at some point that has to be translated into the real world and that that's where this axis between your mind and your brain and your body they have to be aligned right yeah it's kind of like what we talked about before where there's this conscious side that we have that really is a small fraction of who we are as a person. And then there's all this unconscious, these, these systems. You know, we talk about the system that drives all the other systems and that this is consuming so much of who we are. And the question is, is, is at what level are we synchronizing all of that so that we can be the best in the moment that we are. I think a good example is um, we do a lot of work uh, for a group of um, autistic adults uh, out in New York uh, in these homes that these uh, autistic men are in. And while they all have the same diagnosis of autism, and they're sev- pretty severely autistic, they all, but they're all unique. They're all different. And so when we look at their brains, which we look at a couple times a week, so they actually have technology in the home that we work on the brain and the body and breathing and heart rate and vision and all kinds of things. Every one of them's unique. And our goal there isn't to cure them of autism, but it's to get them to the highest level they can be. And in a group of, for instance, six or seven, you'll see everybody that's wired a little bit differently, how they're using oxygen to convert into energy, how the brain waves are working. And um, we have some individuals who are really close to the capacity at which we, the data is showing us that they can achieve. And then we have others that are further away. And our job is try to try to help them get to as close as they can be in that mind-body synchronization so they can be all they can be. And everybody has a different ceiling. Most of the times what we think our ceiling is, is probably not that. And we have to start with a few things. Uh, one is, is data. We need data, data to show us what it is we're shooting for. And then we have to be careful not to be too reductionistic in what we're looking at. So many times we're looking downstream at a particular behavior, like focus or sleep or performance in money management, whatever that is, and not looking upstream at how efficient that upstream is working. You know, you're talking about efficiency. And one of the things I I was thinking about when you were saying that is imagining, you know, like a, it's almost like a signal to noise ratio, right? When you would measure signal strength, you go, how much of the signal is getting through to the other end? You know, if we were to say, Hey, my, my mind is saying, I want to, I want to accomplish this or that, whether again, that's mowing my lawn or throwing a pass in the Super Bowl, doesn't matter, but there's things I want to get done. And the question is how much of that will, that intention, that imagination is able to be delivered uh, at the end through my muscles to accomplish that. And so when we think of signal to noise, we think about either there's, there's noise in the system that's preventing that from getting through. Or there's just a misalignment where the pipe is crooked or something, right? You know, where it's just not getting through. And so I feel like all the things that I 
imagine I want to do, that I want to try to do, that I can visualize in my mind, I can't execute. Absolutely. And and we need to be able to have some data or tangible things that we're working with, getting feedback about these systems and what they're doing in, able, in, a, in order to be able to make the necessary changes. Uh, a, a great example that I see is kind of in the neuropsych space that I have lived in for many years and and helping people understand what their cognitive potential is and lining that potential up. This is kind of a an example of how this might work. Lining up what uh, in the academic space, your academic performance with what your intellectual potential is. And so, and I've done tens of thousands of neuropsychs over the years and helped parents understand where their child is cognitively and academically and Typically, in that type of testing, you first measure what the hardware is doing. What is the intellectual capability? So in IQ, um, 100 is considered average, the 50th percentile. And 85 to 115 is about where 70% of the population falls. And that's what most of education is geared to. And so what we do a lot of times is we get that IQ first. What is the the hardware doing? What's the capacity? And then we want to see how is the individual achieving things? So we're born with intellectual capacity, but we're not born with mathematics or reading or writing or in a particular language per se, but we learn those things. So the hardware then, uh, you want it to line up with the actual performance. And so what we'll do is we get the IQ first, and then we'll measure academic performance, reading, math, language. And so if you have an IQ of uh, 110, which is average to high average, then what you expect is when you go to measure reading, writing, mathematics, that those will also come in about that same level. But what happens in people who have learning disabilities is there's a disconnect is they have the potential of a 110, but yet their reading is an 80. And you realize, oh, wait a minute, Johnny's not hitting his mark. There's something missing in him acquiring what his overall potential is. Now, on the flip side, Johnny gets an 80 in reading, but his IQ is an 80. What am I going to say about Johnny? What I'm going to say about Johnny is, Johnny's pretty doing pretty darn good because he's matching his hardware, right? And there's many times I've been able to sit down with parents and really help them in their parenting style as far as what they're expecting from their child because they realize, oh, Sally's a 130 here and I'm expecting her to function like her peers when Sally probably needs to be doing more work than what the school's giving her. And your job as a parent is to challenge that brain to line up to its giftedness. Or Billy's a 90 and you're asking him to function at a 115. Billy might not be able to do that. You know, so many things you're saying there uh, spark a lot of (laughs) memories of things you've said in the past over the years uh, that I've known you. For example, one of the things I heard you talk in the past about is headroom. Right. So it's the potential for growth is exactly what you're saying. Like, you know, take some arbitrary number like 100. 
and you go, well, if I'm functioning at 80, but my capacity is 100, I've got room for growth, right? And so part of it is, is you want to know that whether that's your child or, you know, a free agent that the, that an NFL team is drafting, that, that, that person has headroom, they have potential for growth, or are they sort of maxed out, right? Yeah. I mean, you bring up a great example. So I've had the opportunity, privilege to be able to do testing for um, the NBA draft as well as the NFL. So I've done multiple uh, NBA draft testing, close to 100 different NBA athletes, done multiple dra- uh, draft testing for the NFL. And it's interesting, like uh, particularly in the NBA, I think back because we've done so much of that over the years for teams, is a lot of these guys look the same you know at that level they have the same wingspan you know they're all six eight you know which seems crazy they can all run the same speed you know they're coming out of these great colleges and you're you're looking at the classic analytics and you're like how do we define what's different well some organizations have figured out we need to look under the hood and see what's going on in the nervous system in the mind body connection that you're talking about. And what's interesting, we've developed a process called neuroanalytics, where we look at all these different things and we'll come into a team and say, you know, these two possibly power forward positions that you're looking at, they look exactly the same. Maybe the shooting percentage is off by 2%. But when we look under the hood, we see some subtle differences that one person is really doing cognitively, visually, hormone-wise, sleep-wise, recovery-wise, about the best that I would expect them to do, right? And then we'll see this, I've defined it as the bent needle in the haystack, is we'll see this guy who looks exactly the same, and then all of a sudden we'll find out his binocular vision is off by 25%. So just athletically, he's figured out how to hit three-pointers, but he doesn't even realize that if we fix his binocularity, he's going to be better. Or his recovery cycles, his sleep architecture, his deep sleep is off by 30%, which is affecting his testosterone development, which there's more power under a hood if I could fix his sleep cycle. And so a lot of times these organizations that I'll work for is will pick up the bent needle in the haystack because we know if we can fix that, oh my goodness, now we've found the next NBA all-star, not just somebody to fill a position. Well, you know, I think about that with the NFL as well, right? So there's this, you know, whole thing about the Heisman curse, right? Where you say this guy was the best college football player uh, last year. Uh, yeah. And so teams will invest tens, hundreds of millions of dollars and draft picks and, you know, risk a franchise's future to draft somebody. And I know you've been involved in those assessments where you say, hey, that first round draft pick did so great in the senior year of college. But you've come in and said, what you've seen so far is, you know, that's his high watermark. He's not going to get any better than that. Versus I know we both know a couple of players that were when you know third fourth round fifth round right who you go this guy has so much headroom what you got out of him in the senior year of college is just the beginning of what he's able to do if we're able to get him aligned so that's where teams have turned to you 
uh, and your, you know, your methodologies, because that's a big check before you write a big check for that player, right? Yeah. And that's this whole concept that we're talking about. Yes, we're talking about it on the, the pro level, but this is the real life level in the trenches as well, you know, is you have to kind of command or control these things. You got to bring them forward. You can't just wish them into being, you know, um, there's a, a, a quote that's been said by, you know, who we attribute that to. We don't know if it's Lombardi or Bear Bryant or whoever, but it's not the will to win that counts. It's the will to prepare to win that counts. And we can sit around willing, hoping all the time, but if we're not doing the preparation, then um, it's not going to happen. And I think a space that I see this a lot in a, in a kind of a micro level is in sleep. Okay. A lot of people, you know, I want to sleep better. And, um, you know, I, I just want to like take this pill right before I go to bed, you know, or I want to do this one thing differently, but I will ask them, how are you preparing to sleep? You know, what are you doing 10 minutes before you decide to go to sleep? Well, I'm just finishing up Walking Dead, you know, or um, I decided to get on Facebook and find out the things that I'm not measuring up to other people's expectations. You know, why do they always have a better vacation than we have? Right. Right. And then you're trying to put your head on the pillow and go to sleep. Like you're not preparing for probably the most important thing that's going to happen in a 24 hour cycle. I was just meeting with uh, coach a few weeks ago and I was talking to him about his sleep and I'm asking like, what are you doing? Cause he's like, it's really disrupted. I can't sleep well. I'm like, well, what are we doing before you go to sleep? Well, I'm watching three hours of game film. And I'm like, well, there's a few things wrong with that. One is just the psychological component, but you're also staring at blue light. Like you're going to take away your melatonin so fast. It's ridiculous. Um, how are we going to address that? You know, so we said, so if you got to watch game film, we're doing it with blue blockers. Right. And, you know, we're talking about what are we doing actually when you wake up in the morning <laughs> to prepare you to sleep at night, that seems so foreign. I know to our listeners, like, why would I be working on my sleep at 8am in the morning? Because it we're remember, we talked about this, this whole dynamic resilience and we're rhythmic beings. What I choose to do during the high beat of my circadian rhythm, which is my awake cycle, is going to affect the low beat, which is my sleep cycle. It's going to affect my melatonin production, my adrenaline, those kind of things. So this concept of preparing to win is far different than just having a will or a desire to win. And that means looking under the hood. You know, I want to go back a couple of minutes to something you said, just because it sparked a thought while you're talking and it kind of sort of re- rewind a second. You know, you were talking about that, that kid in school who his IQ is X and he's not his, in his reading scores or whatever, or not living up to it. Right. When you and I first started working together, I don't know, a dozen years or more ago, you said something at that time that was like a light bulb went off over my head. And you were talking about a child in school who is sitting there, teachers going on, 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 whatever, with the screen at the front of the room or the whiteboard or whatever it is. 
And this student has an eye convergence issue. So their eyes are not tracking uh, on the page that they're being asked to read. Teacher says, hey, Johnny, will you read you know, from this paragraph or something? And he looks down and his eyes don't track across the line, pick up the next line, pick up the next line. So he stutters, he hymns and he haws, doesn't get the answer right. The other kids around him all sort of giggle and point. And the teacher goes, man, Johnny isn't very bright. What, what's right. really going on is that that brain body connection there's an alignment issue something is it has nothing to do with Johnny's intelligence it has no. to do with getting all of the components in Johnny's body working in alignment with his mind to execute and perform so we can read the paragraph and give the answer right i mean when you told you when you said that like 12 13 years ago to me one day i was like bam that just made all kinds of lights go on i've told so many people about that over the years in terms of the kinds of things that inhibit us being able to reach our potential. Yeah, I mean, you're giving a perfect example of the the trap that falls that that comes upon most kids that have learning problems is it becomes this reductionistic. You have this dyslexia, you have this uh, disability, but nobody's really going upstream and analyzing that, looking at the brain looking at the visual fields. When you think about reading, this is probably a whole podcast, okay? But when you think about reading, your eyes have to do something that they're not naturally inclined to do, and that is they have to turn inward and hold a position with both lenses. And those have to be perfectly synchronized. If those muscles aren't holding that position, then you're going to perceive double vision because you have two different lenses. And typically what happens is the brain just shuts down one of those and it becomes very monocular. Well, when it does that, now you're not taking in as much text, okay? Then if you're not taking in as much text, it's taking you longer to get from the top of the page to the bottom of the page. And you've used so much energy to get from the top of the page to the bottom of the page, there's no energy left for comprehension. You've done everything in decoding. And so it can look like, well, I have a reading fluency issue, I have a reading comprehension issue, but you actually might have a muscle control issue that think about how kids develop. Boys and girls, there are differences, okay? Uh, the girls are jumping rope, doing balance beams, doing all kinds of, you know, different you know, gymnastics, and the the boy is just learning how to barely bounce a ball sometimes. That's not in all cases, and that's not meant to be a generalization, but, you know, let's be real. You know, look out on the playground and see what they're doing, right? And so a lot of times, this boy, this clumsy boy can barely stay on a balance beam, but yet we're asking him to do the most complex muscle skill probably known to man, which is to bring these two eyes together and now not only bring them together, but now scan up and down sideways down a page while retaining perfect synchronization of those muscles. And so many times what we do is we just repeat this over and over again without analyzing it. And I would say that we go in many cases in the direction of forming disabilities for kids because we're not really analyzing what the muscle, the body side of thing is doing in relation to the 
mind or the brain connection. And if we would fix that, we could stop a whole cascade of issues for that individual. Right. I mean, I mean, everything that you do, Doc, in your career, uh, uh, have done in your career and, are, and continue to do is a building feedback loops, like useful feedback loops for people, right? And I remember when you first talked about that poor boy that couldn't read the page, that actually builds a negative feedback loop for him, you said, because now the other kids around him in class are snickering and the teacher's like shaking her head. And then she goes to the parent-teacher conference and says, you know, I'm, I think Johnny just, you know, <laughs> isn't the sharpest you know, kid in class or whatever. Now Johnny feels failure and he feels shame. And so he sort of uh, lives up to that, right? Yeah. In a sense, his potential gets compressed because now Johnny has no sort of expectations for himself, right? And he sort of lives down to those expectations. And so these kind of, this becomes a negative feedback loop instead of a positive one. Yeah, and that the work becomes uh, something that he wants to avoid, maybe gets attention for that. But here's another physiological thing that happens, okay? Is if I can't synchronize the two eyes well, and I'm monocular, so I'm, it's hard for me to keep that, that very precise muscle control. The next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to use larger muscle groups to maintain the movement. So if you look, you'll see this kid is swaying his head back and forth as he's reading. And not only is it his head, but his whole body's kind of moving. And when something happens in the classroom, instead of just a sh subtle shift of the eyes, his head and body is turning, right? And he looks fidgety and restless and impulsive because he's trying to compensate for a muscle control issue. And what's the first thing that happens before we even like look under the hood, say, what's going on? Oh, he's got ADHD. He's got to have ADHD. So now I put him on an amphetamine, which is very likely going to make the visual fields even tighter and create more anxiety. And so it's just, we, we have to get out of, I mean, a real challenge to, in today's podcast is please get out of the reductionistic mentality that most, most of us are pushed into in academics, in the workplace, in overall performance. And don't just look downstream at one thing. Can I give this pill to change this? I can't sleep, so I need to take this pill to slow down. Look upstream at the potential that you have. Are you that bent needle right in the haystack that this is beyond anything you could imagine what you could do? But we need to get that data first and look at it holistically and look at the brain before we get tied down by just looking at behaviors. Well, I mean, to live up to our performance, I hear you saying, we have to look at the mind, which is our will and our conscious thought, and then how that gets translated through the brain, which is the physical organ where that lives, all the way down through our nervous system to our muscles that execute the commands. And along the way, there can be noise in the system, there could be inhibitors in the system, there can be misalignments in the system, so that what we imagine that we can do or what we're really capable of doing, we, we just can't execute it. You were telling me a story a couple of weeks ago 
uh, offline about a, an NFL receiver you were working with, I think last yeah. year. And this guy was, I think you tell the story, but he was like a free agent, got drafted, and he couldn't catch uh, on one, he, he couldn't line up on one side, right, of center. Why don't you tell that story? Because it was really interesting about this player who had all this potential in the NFL, but sort of couldn't live up to it. And it didn't really have anything to do, again, with his potential, but it had everything to do with his capacity to sort of execute. Yeah, it's a great story. And I'm not, I've seen this more than once, but uh, this receiver all through college, exceptional, gets into the NFL and he starts to notice as the game gets faster, there's more demands on him that, and there's more data coming back that he does much better when he lines up on the right side of the field and is catching the ball over his left shoulder, right? But every time they line him up on the left side of the field, he gets a little bit more anxiety because he knows it's harder for me on the left side of the field. And so we start looking at this, not just like, well, we're just going to line him up on the right side all the time. Well, that's not going to work in the NFL, right? We start looking and we just like, did you know that you have a weakness in the synchronization of your right and left eye? That you're, you tend to go to your left eye as a dominant eye under stress and shut down the use of the right eye, right? So that means when he's going down the right side of the field, looking over his left shoulder, simple, right? He, the ball's just coming right to him, right over his shoulder. But imagine now he's going to the, right, the left side of the field his left eye is stronger, and that's what he tends to dominate under stress and becomes monocular instead of binocular. So in order for him to really focus in on that eye, he literally has to turn his whole body to get his head in position. And he's so just gifted naturally, athletically, that sure, he can do this, right? Of course, that, <laughs> but of course the moment, that, that gives it away that a defender, <laughs> what's, what he's yeah, doing, right? Exactly. When he makes a big turn, you turn. Yeah, but when we started repairing this, like we didn't go out and, you know, I didn't run routes with him, right? You know, I didn't like, let's visualize you catching the ball. Not that that's not a good thing to do. Okay, but, uh, you know, let's, um, your focus is off. You know, let's give you this to make you focus better. We went back to the origin of this, which is his eyes, found the weakness, strengthened that offline, like at, with equipment and different things that we use to strengthen that. And all of a sudden, he's not turning his body when he lines up on the left side. Well, he thought, and all the data, all the analytics said, this is what this guy's potential is. It's totally different now because we've, re we've repaired the upstream issue, and now he's doing things that he never thought he could do. So, Doc, as we kind of wind down this episode, think about the listener out there. Maybe they're a student, you know, high school student, college student. Uh, maybe they're a mom or a dad just dealing with their job or just the pressures of uh, running a household. It, or maybe they're a professional athlete. But whoever they are, they have this sense of frustration that they haven't lived up to their potential or they're not living up to their potential. They're capable of so much more. And, you know, that becomes a failure loop that you feel like I'm capable of so much more, but I never, I never sort of, you know, live up to that. Talk 
about what they can begin to do to recapture or capture that potential? Yeah, I would say it starts with probably what our whole next podcast is about, and that is being present, being in the moment. What am I doing with this moment, this opportunity that I have right now? Uh, Not getting stuck in the what ifs and the what abouts, but in this moment in time, how much of me is right here in this space? So that's the first thing. And then getting to the real uh, energy components of the brain, which is uh, blood flow and oxygen, really working on a very structure of, of getting good breathing patterns in. And those are things that we can help people with. But it really starts with the basics of uh, breathing, sleep, and then getting some good data on yourself that shows you what your potential. I talked with about some of that earlier with neuropsych testing, but we can actually look at the electrical activity in the brain and see if the brain is running very efficiently. But that data helps you start to give you markers to work off of. And also being careful not to be so reductionistic. Just don't look downstream at this one thing, but look at globally. You know, what is my energy like? How am I in relationships? Uh, What is one thing that I can work on and be present with? Um, You will get there. The human body and the human brain has massive capabilities, but we kind of got to put ourselves in a structured situation where we're chipping these things off one at a time. If someone's listening to this and they're super curious about all of these kinds of assessments that you talk about, how do I measure my potential? How do I begin to look for those things that might be throwing me off in my physiology or whatever? How does someone go about getting that kind of testing and assessment? Yeah, so they can, um, there's two different paths. There's the uh, forgeinnerarmor.com, which is the uh, what the podcast is today for Inner Armor. Uh, also, another company that's a little bit more concierge, uh, very in-depth into the neuropsych and hormone analysis and sleep studies and those kind of things would be Royer Neuroscience, RoyerNeuroscience.com, where we do all of this stuff remotely. Uh, we actually send people to your home. Uh, we can send equipment. We can assess really any place in the world. And so if you wanted to take a, a deep, really deep dive the Royer Neuroscience, if you're just wanting to scratch the surface and kind of see what are these basic things about myself with breathing and vision and focus, uh, Inner Armor is a good place to start. Fantastic. So they can go to the podcast website uh, and we'll have links there. They can go to forgeinnerarmor.com, find links there and uh, find some of the the tools and opportunities that that you offer. Yeah, uh, we'd love to help in any way possible, any, any of our listeners out there. Well, fantastic, Doc. Thanks so much. And I look forward to our next conversation where we're going to talk about being present. Awesome. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment? You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.